Sorry about all that. More announcements. Just, I'm just excited. Can you tell? God's been so good to us, man. He's just stirring up my heart. No, they, they ain't nothing, folks, there's nothing like being in a church where God is working, where it's real. And it's bigger than you and it's bigger than me. And from the human eye, I don't look big. You look around here and you're like, oh, what are you talking about? Uh, yeah, we're old school. And when you just preach the Bible the old school way, you don't expect people nowadays to respond to that. But it's shocking to me how many people are looking for the truth. And so don't be shy about the Lord, man. Don't be ashamed of Him. Psalm chapter 90, let's skip down with me, if you would, please, to verse number 12. So teach us to number our days that we may apply our hearts to wisdom, unto wisdom. Look at verse 9. For all our days are passed away in thy wrath. We spend our years as a tale that is told. Father, we love you this morning. Thank you, God, for what you're doing in our church. Thank you for all our visitors. Thank you for the souls that have gotten saved recently. Lord, we just love you. And God, we want to be a part of something that you're doing. I don't, I don't really care to do with my life what I want done. Everything I've ever done has been a mess. Lord, I always, I always fall short of your glory. My motives are always off. My mind is never on track like it ought to be. But God, you're God and I'm not. And you know stuff I don't know. And you do things I don't understand. And you're wonderful. And I just thank you, Lord, for, for giving me life. God, I woke up this morning because you let me. You did it, not me. I did not wake myself up. You did it. And Father, I'm on my way to heaven today because of what you did. Because you love me and you sent your son for me. I'm standing here this morning, God, to preach because you called me to preach and you put it in me and you gave me the gift and the grace and the ability to do it. I got nothing to offer you, Lord, but you still, you still want to use me and you still love me and I thank you for that. And I ask you to use me this morning to speak to our hearts today. We pray in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. I want to preach to you from this chapter on what will your story be? You see it in verse number 9, he says, For all our days are passed away in thy wrath, we spend our years as a tale that is told. You'll notice by the title, this is a prayer of Moses, the man of God, right? Yeah, thanks. He's laughing at me back there. I always forget the mic. This one. Not my name, I'm not that old yet, I'll get there soon, but... (laughs) And I saw his shadow while they were singing and immediately knew. I'm like, okay, you know, he just laughs at me. Thank God these guys are so patient with me. We spend our years as a tale that is told. This is a prayer of Moses, the man of God. He's, he's an old man and he's looking back on his life and he's praying and he's recognizing some things about himself and about his life that you and I need to think about. What is your story going to be once you die? You know, every one of us has a story. And it's a sad and scary thing to think that your life is but a vapor. It appears quickly and then vanishes away. The Bible says about our lives that that as human beings, we're like grass that springs up and withers. It just is cut down so quickly. And when you stop and think about life, especially as you get older, some of you folks that are older, you get it. It goes fast, doesn't it? It's almost frightening how fast your life goes. I mean, I know in my own head, I'm walking around going through my day, and I'm thinking like I'm 25, right? And then all of a sudden, you know, i got to use the bathroom for the 47th time in the last hour. And I'm washing my hands, and I look in the mirror, and I'm like, that ain't no 25-year-old dude. 
I meet a grown man standing there with a beard. Hey, how you doing, man? I'm good, sir. How are you? Like, why do you just call me sir? And then I'm like, wow, I could be his, like his perspective of me, I could be his dad. It's almost scary how fast life goes. Here's the thing. Honestly, when you are in the middle of suffering, when you're in the middle of a hard time, when you're in pain, doesn't it seem to slow down? When you got really heavy burdens on your life, no matter how fast in its entirety you look at your life and see how fast it's going. Listen, young people don't get this. I, I didn't get it when I was younger, and that's not a put down, okay? Here's the thing about it. When you're excited about something and looking forward to something and you're all amped up about the future, doesn't it seem like it's dragging? How many of you remember the week before Christmas when you were a kid? You remember Christmas Eve? Well, how many times did you say this as a kid? It's never going to get here. Because you're excited about something. You're looking forward to some things. Hey, listen, young people, I am not here to drain you of your joy and drag you down. Listen, it's a great thing to live and to have life experiences. It's a great thing to get married. It's a great thing to have kids. It's a wonderful thing to live your life with, here's what I want to do. Here's what I want to be. Here's what I want to accomplish. That's all good. But let me warn you, the, the book of Ecclesiastes, Solomon, the wisest man ever, said this, Remember now thy creator in the days of thy youth, while the evil days draw not, nor the years draw nigh, when thou shalt say, I have no pleasure in them. You live your life as a tale that is told. And the time comes so quickly when really every day is a struggle. You talk to older people, they say, how are you doing? Well, I'm good. I got up and all my parts came with me, you know. <laughs> like every day is difficult. That's the reality of it. Hey, those of us that are younger and have health, we ought to have some respect for older people. Old people ought to be able to come to this church and be like, yes, I can make it to my pew safely without getting run over by somebody's kid. You've got to teach your kids that stuff, but that's not the message this morning. The reality is, is that your life goes really fast. But while you're in the middle of your problem, it doesn't seem to be going quickly at all. Actually, what happens, and we're going to look at it tonight, we got some, I think, some interesting stuff to show you from the book of Revelation, chapter 12. I had printed out some news articles that are going to blow your mind. This stuff was in the Bible, and now they're forecasting, contacting aliens and all the rest of that stuff. And I'm going to show you in Revelation chapter 12 exactly what's going to happen and why. But here's the thing about the devil. The Bible tells us in that chapter he's the accuser of the brethren. What the devil's actively doing is accusing you to God. But guess what else he does? He accuses God to you. Did you follow that? Once you're saved, the devil's always trying to show God where you messed up and what a train wreck you are. To try to come between you and God and your relationship, the devil would love to see you lose your salvation and go to the devil's hell. That's what he wants to see. He would love God to break God's own word, break God's own doctrines, break God's own laws, and damn your soul to hell. And if he can't do that, he wants to provoke the anger of God against you, to bring the judgment of God on your life, to cut it off as early as he can. And that's what the devil wants to get done. He's the accuser of the brethren. And there's some level of power to that because when God casts him out of heaven in Revelation 12, the people in heaven are rejoicing that the accuser of our brethren is cast down. They're like, man, thank you for taking that burden off of us, God. You and I don't understand his power. We'll, we'll look at some of that tonight. But here's the flip side of that I want to focus on this morning. The devil wants to accuse God to you. How many of you have ever had this thought? 
if God was so loving, then why would he? It just doesn't make any sense. I'm trying to serve the Lord. I'm trying to do right. And why would God allow this? That is the devil working in your head. What you and I have to understand is that God is eternal. So I already mentioned to you how you get older, time goes faster, right? Could you imagine being God Almighty? He was, He is, He is to come. God Almighty is already in eternity future with your saved soul, with your glorified body. He already sees you there. He's out there already. He's not constrained to time like you and I are. So while we're sitting here in the middle of our struggle, the Lord's looking at your entire life for a five-year period of health problems or whatever it might be. And he's like, I just blinked my eyes. That's all that happened. I'm not so unjust. I'm not so unfair. It really hasn't been that long. From God's perspective, our problems are not as big as they genuinely are to us. And that's not a put-down to you in your problems. That's me saying we need a different perspective this morning. Notice the title says, A Prayer of Moses, the Man of God. Now this title has been overdone in our culture, no doubt about it. I cannot stand the mentality of the man of God. He's the man of God. Look, you know what every one of us is? We're sinners. Every last person on the planet is a sinner saved by grace. If they're saved at all. Every last, every man of God you know is nothing more than human sinful flesh that deserves to burn in a devil's hell. There is no perfect man outside of the Lord Jesus Christ. But there's a man right here who wasn't perfect at all and God said he was the man of God. I've showed you before that the titles, although many of the scholars will tell you the titles are not inspired, God says they are. When God quotes the title of Psalm 18 in the book of 2 Samuel, and God quotes it in the text of the scripture, not as a title, he quotes the title. You understand what I'm saying? So he's a cross-reference to show you the titles are inspired. So when this title of this psalm is the prayer of Moses, the man of God, that is God saying that Moses was the man of God. I want the story of my life to be Mike Reagan was a man of God. Wouldn't, I mean, I'm not talking about define the way religion defines it. You understand that, right? I hate that stuff. I, I've had him, I, I told you before, preacher, I met at a thing. God, brother, I want to introduce you to this guy. Hey, I'm Dr. So-and-so. And he said it with this, doctor. Like, you don't walk around saying, hi, I'm Mike, when you walk up to people. I looked him straight in the face, I shook his hand, I waited a second, and I said, hi, I'm Mike. And he looked at me like, that conversation was that long. The same goofball got up there and says, I've never made a cup of coffee in my life, that's a woman's job. God bless his poor wife, man, the only reason they're still married is because she's a saint. <laughs> I'm not talking about that kind of a man of God. I'm talking about a real man of God. You know what God said about Moses? He was the meekest man in all the earth. That's strength under control. Meek doesn't mean weak. Meek means I could rip your head off, but I'm not going to because I care about you. He had power with God to deliver Israel from the captivity in Egypt. This, 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 this stuttering little man, this weak man, 
That God said, hey Moses, take off the shoes that are on thy feet, for the place that I'm going to stand is this holy ground. I'm sending you down to, to Pharaoh, and I'm going to have you in front of Pharaoh, and I'm going to work miracles for you. He said, God, I can't even talk. No, I can't do that. And he argued so much with God that God said, fine, I'll send Aaron. But you're the guy, and I'm not letting you off the hook. He had a speech impediment. Call the God to get up and speak to hundreds, thousands, millions of people and preach to them and stuttered. But he was a man of God. So God takes this man and he puts him down there and he conquers Pharaoh. <laughs> Get a hold of that for a minute. A bunch of slaves that don't even want to follow him. He conquers Pharaoh. He takes the children of Israel across the Red Sea. We were talking about that this weekend. Like You and I think about it like they crossed the street. It was a sea. It wasn't a lake. You know how long it took to get all those people across the Red Sea? You're talking about a very big job that was very miraculous by the power of God. He's, he's feeding God's people and leading God's people through the wilderness. He actually personally sits at the feet of God and gets the Old Testament and all the stuff that God wants to give him, the Pentateuch and all the rest of that. God actually put him in the cliff of the rock and showed him his backside. He said, no man can see my face. This is an amazing man. And he's wanting to tell us something in this prayer that will help us understand how to write the story of our life the right way. You know what blows my mind? This amazing man was a murderer. This amazing man disobeyed God and almost lost his wife and kid over it. This amazing man was a sinner just like you and just like me. And God says Moses was the man of God. I think we can learn a few things from Moses about our life, and if we'll apply these things, I think you can live a life that's got a pretty amazing story when you get to the end of it. Because honestly, that is what matters. I sure hope you young people, when you're making your decisions on who to marry and where to go to school and what to do with your life and where to go to church and all the rest of that, I sure hope you're thinking about the end. I sure hope you're not so shallow and so, so, so simple-minded that all you can think about is today. I hope you're realizing that every seed you sow one day at a time is going to be reaped eventually and the things you're putting down right now are coming out later. You've got to understand that you are writing the story of your life one day at a time. One decision at a time. And the decisions you make now impact what's said about you when you're gone. You never go wrong. Hear me. You will never go wrong putting God first. I want to say this while I'm thinking about it because it needs to be said, but it's not in my notes. When you make a decision to do right and you start going that direction, you will receive resistance. If you don't receive resistance, somebody's happy with what you're doing. I have never made a right decision in my life that did not cost me something. Now let's look at this from Moses' perspective. First of all, I want you to see his view of his heavenly father. 
Lord, verse number 1, Lord, Thou hast been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever Thou hast formed the earth and the world, even from everlasting to everlasting, Thou art God. Thou turnest man to destruction, and sayest, Return, ye children of men. You'll notice, first of all, that he has this view of God Almighty, and he views God in God's entirety. Now stop and think about that for a minute. Because everybody has a view of God. Everybody in this room, on some level or another, you say, I'm an atheist. Okay, then that's your view of God. He don't exist. Which literally has nothing to do with reality. That's just your puny little mind and your stupid little opinion of life. Because you're brainwashed and you're, 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 just, you're just prejudiced and you're just stubborn as a mule. I refer you to last Wednesday night, Romans chapter 1. The entirety of who God is has very little to do with my perspective or my experience of God. Does that make sense to you? I mean, if God existed in eternity past before this earth ever existed, what's that got to do with my life? He was God back then. And when my puny little life is over just like that, I'm not, I'm not trying to be mean or morbid, but can I just be real with you for a second and make you think? I just want to make you think. I don't want to hurt anybody. Okay? But this is a very hard, cold, nasty reality. Five years after you're gone, if there are ten people who think about you once a day, Ain't that terrible? That's not to belittle, I mean, that's not to belittle any pain or grief that you have. But if ten people think about you every single day, five years after you've gone, you made a pretty big impact with your life. I'm not saying there won't be people that think about you. I'm talking about every day. Do you know how many billions of people are on the planet? When my life is snuffed out, do you know what it really means? I'm sorry, I guess I'm not that important. That's right. But can I tell you who is? God Almighty means a whole lot. So I want the story of my life to be something way bigger than me. I want it to be about Him. Because He can take a little life that means absolutely nothing in the grand scheme of humanity, and He can do amazing things with it like He did with Moses, the man of God. I'm talking about viewing God in His entirety. This man of God, he realized his life amounted to something because he was able to step back from his own personal feelings and his own personal ego and his own personal mindset and he was able to look at God for who and what God is way bigger than him, way more important than him, way more powerful than him and he was able to bring everything in his life into perspective which was it really isn't about all these Israelites. It really isn't about Pharaoh. It really isn't about the struggles and the problems. It isn't really about my failure. It's about him. That's what made him a man of God. He looked at life from God's perspective. I want you to see something real quick. Keep your finger here in Psalms and go over to Acts chapter 17. Let me show you something about God. I think at least at least somebody in the room this morning needs to see this. Acts chapter 17. 
Look at verse 16. Acts 17, 16. Now while Paul waited for them at Athens, verse 16, his spirit was stirred in him when he saw the city given wholly to idolatry. Therefore he disputed he in the synagogue with the Jews. He went to the religious people and with the devout persons. And in the market daily, that's just the average people, they're not in church, they're just out there in the streets, with them that met with him. Then he went to the religious crowd, he went down to the university, and then certain philosophers of the Epicureans and of the Stoics. The Epicureans were, uh, eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die. They were the hedonists. And the Stoics, they were the ones that, you know, viewed things as, you know, pain and suffering, and won't bend, won't bow, and how to get through the sufferings and trials of life. They were the tough, the, the Stoic individuals. They encountered him. These are the thinkers. These are the religiously, edu- the, 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 the carnally educated people. And some said, what will this babbler say? Others, some, he seemeth to be a setter forth of strange gods, because he preached unto them Jesus in the resurrection. And they took him and brought him unto Areopagus, saying, May we know what this doctrine whereof thou speakest is? For thou bringest certain strange things to our ears. We would know, therefore, what these things mean. For all the Athenians and strangers which were there spent their time in nothing else but either to post... Or to watch, either tell or hear some new thing. It's modern day America. They either want to post it so you can see what they did last, or they want to look it up on Fox News or listen to it or watch it to hear what's going on and check out what's some new thing, new thing, new thing, new thing. What are they doing? What are they up to? What's the latest? What's the latest? What's the latest? Now look at verse 22. Then Paul stood in the midst of Mars Hill and said, Ye men of Athens, I perceive that in all things ye are too superstitious. What a way to start your message. He would not fit in in the modern day contemporary church. The first thing he says is, You people are superstitious about everything. You're too superstitious. You're too super spiritual. You've got no authority. You've got no foundation. You've got no compass. You're shook up about everything. Let's find out what God has to say. Quit worrying about Russia and China and North Korea and who's going to be in the White House and the economy and interest rates. Quit getting shook up! Let's look at what's important. For I passed by and beheld your devotions, in verse 23, and I followed an altar with this inscription to the unknown God. You're worshiping everything there is, and then in case you missed it, you're just going to have an altar built to some God. You're trying to cover all the bases. I'm, I'm a good person, and you know I try, and I don't do harm to my fellow man, and I'm just trying to make sure that you know, I'm hedging my bets, so when I get there, maybe I'm going to make it. I, I think I'd go to heaven. You're on your way to hell, if that's what you're saying this morning. Whom therefore ye ignorantly worship, him declare I unto you. He, he, what he's saying is, folks... I know the true God based on the Word of God, and I'm here to make it clear to you. Verse 24, God that made the world. See his perspective? Look where he starts. He wants them to get the right view of God. God that made the world and all things therein. Well, let's stop and talk about the science. No. Not wasting my time with you. Well, in my science class, they taught us If you stop and listen in your science class and you listen to their definition of science and then you watch what they teach, you find out everything they teach is not consistent with the foundation they gave you. 
Something doesn't come from nothing. It doesn't just evolve. There's no data to back it. I'll show you tonight. I'll show you tonight. These jokers that brainwashed a couple of generations into not believing there's a God, into killing what God put in them naturally from birth, and understanding that right is right and wrong is wrong, a conscience that God gave them, they've trained them, educated them, ye shall be as God's knowing. They've educated them out of God and out of the conscience that they have in them naturally, that God put in them. And these same jokers now are circling back and doubting everything they ever said to you. But you've got entire generations that are following after this stuff. God made the world. That's how it got here. And that's the most scientific approach you can have. Because every one of you got here in something that was made. You're sitting in a building that was built, that was made. And if it's not maintained, it falls apart. It devolves, it doesn't evolve. Nothing is evolving. So don't let them mock you for being unintelligent and unscientific when you have your faith in the Bible and in God Almighty. He says, God that made the world and all things therein, seeing that He is the Lord of heaven and earth, dwelleth not in temples made with hands, neither is worship with men's hands, as though He needed anything. <laughs> well, I just have to, because if I don't, then who's going to? And God needs me. No, He don't. My preacher said this, and I had to sit back and think about it for a minute. He said, if you don't want to witness, don't. Souls are dying and going to hell. Listen, I'm not saying they're predestined. They're not. But any individual who's responding to the truth that God has given them, as they respond to that truth, God will lead them to more truth. So those of you that are having success in winning souls or having success in inviting people to church and all that stuff, God's the one that set all that up. God used you like a little pawn, a sinful little human being. God just used you. God's hand was in it. It was God doing it. I don't want to be in on it. And if I don't, I don't have to. Because God will use somebody else. Man, I don't want that. I don't want some other preacher to get my fruit. (laughs) I want God to use me. God doesn't need you. You need Him. God's not worshipped with men's hands as though He needed anything, seeing He giveth to all life and breath and all things. He giveth to who? Every human being alive received their life from God. You weren't born without the power of God. You didn't take that first breath after you were born without the power of God. You don't exist without the power of God. All those lost people walking around this planet right now, driving by here, not being in church, not thinking about church, not thinking about God, still half hung over from yesterday and all the rest of that stuff. They didn't, it's the mercy of God letting them go every day and giving them another breath and another day and another sunrise and another sunset. It's the mercy of God. Every human being on the planet has a witness in their conscience and in creation. Seeing he giveth all to all life and breath and all things, and he hath made of one blood all nations of men for to dwell on the face of the earth, and hath determined the times before appointed and the bounds of their habitations. That's why they want to get to outer space. Because God put boundaries on them, and they always want to push God's boundaries, and they're tampering with something that's supernatural, and we'll look at it tonight. It's demonic. That they should seek after the Lord. He put your boundaries on your life. 
You understand that? He put a limit on your life. I already talked about it. You're all dying. I'm sorry to tell you. You're all dying. Listen, if you're feeling fine and don't have any symptoms, don't go to the doctor. No, really. I went to the doctor the best shape ever in my life. Ever in my life. At 41 years old, I was in better shape than I'd ever been in my life. And when I broke my ribs and went to the doctor, they're like, there's spots all over all four quadrants of your lungs. Your heart's enlarged. enlarged your left aorta's enlarged. You're dying! Went through two years of follow-ups just to make sure that the spots on my lungs weren't cancer. And now every couple of years, I've got to go back and get it checked again. They think I did damage to my lungs by wearing an altitude mask and trying to run. I was running three miles in, in, uh, in uh, uh, under 24 minutes. It was seven minutes and 51 seconds a mile at 41 years old trying to get ready for Worlds. So I probably did it to myself. I'm fine, unfortunately, for some of you. I'm probably going to be around a little longer, I hope. <laughs> Only God knows. For all I know, it's a slow growing, and it is cancer. And I could go back next time and say, oops, you don't want lung cancer. You don't know. God knows. He set a time clock on you. You get up in your 40s and you start shaving. I remember my dad going like this. I can remember, I used to sit there and watch him shave when I was little. Talk, 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 the poor guy. And he'd go like, he'd reach over this way and he'd pull it up like that. I don't do that because I'm not, I, I do it on this side now. You know? Now what is that? What, what, what? It's called a time clock. It's called death is coming. It's called an appointment. God puts boundaries on you so you'll look after God. Getting old's a blessing. Because you start, num- teach us to number our days that we apply our hearts to wisdom. God put boundaries on them. That they should seek after the Lord, if happily they might feel after Him and find Him, though He be not far from every one of us, for in Him we live and move and have our being. As certain also of uh, your own poets have said, for we are His offspring. Go back to Psalm 90, please. You can be an offspring of God without being a child of God. You understand that? We're all God's children. Hogwash. You are not. Not naturally. Not from birth. From birth you're a sinner. He's looking not only at God's entirety, he's looking at God's judgment. Look at verse 3. Thou turnest man to destruction and sayest, Return ye children of men. Look at verse 7. For we are consumed in thine anger, and by thy wrath we are troubled. Look at verse 9. For all our days are passed away in thy wrath. We spend our years as a tale that is told. Look at verse 11. Who knoweth the power of thine anger, even according to thy fear, so is thy wrath. Look at verse 13. Return, O Lord, how long, and let it repent thee concerning thy servants. O satisfy us early with thy mercy, that we may may rejoice and be glad all our days. Make us glad according to the day wherein thou hast afflicted us and the years wherein we have seen evil. (laughs) He's looking at the view of God, the entirety of God and the judgment of God. Talking about being, having a good story in your life. Ain't this all so negative? Sorry, it'll get more positive in a minute, but I believe in the power of negative thinking. You want to know what's wrong with this country? You're talking about on the way here. I'd love to see DeSantis get in. He's a Navy SEAL, man. (laughs) He's conservative. He's doing good for his economy down there, right? You can forget it. 
I, I would not be one bit surprised. I'm not prophesying here. I'm just giving you my opinion. I wouldn't be one bit surprised if we go from bad to worse. You know why? God's just. You got an entire nation that doesn't want anything to do with Jesus Christ. They flaunt in the face of God. They shake their fist in his face, deny science and reality, deny the truth of the Bible, and get mad when the Bible's preached. That's becoming a hate book you got in your lap. And before long, I'm going to be a hate preacher according to what they label me as. And there couldn't be more wrong if they tried. But I will not back off on truth. I will not compromise. I will not start telling you that it's all right. Love is love is love is love. God calls it fornication. God calls it sodomy. God says it's an abomination. We were down there, we were down there Friday night preaching to them and, and giving them hot dogs and giving them clothes. Multiple transvestites. Don't you look at me and say I'm a hate preacher because I say it's sin. When's the last time they were down there? They don't go down there. They're too scared. They talk all about all this philanthropy and all the rest of the stuff they talk about, but they do nothing about it. It's sin. And the judgment of God will come on a nation that chooses sin over God. When you reject the book, God rejects you. When you mess with the Bible, God messes with your mind. This nation's shot. Sorry about that. I'll tell you the number one reason why I know it's shot the most. This is the number one reason, more than anything else you could see on TV, more than the riots, more than people busting into shops and, and the big, what are they, the, the shoplifting sprees where they're going in there and tearing, more than all the rest of that stuff, the churches. I'll bet you 90% or 99% of saved people in this country, if they sat and listened to me preach, would be mad, they'd be angry. I'd get a worse response from them than I ever get on the street. I mean, supposedly God's people denying the word of God. We're in trouble. And somebody who's going to have a good story on their life needs to recognize the judgment of God when you reject the Bible. Moses recognized it. His view of his heavenly father. Number two, his view of faithfulness in the here and now. Look at verse four. For a thousand years in thy sight are but as yesterday when it is past, and as a watch in the night. Thou carriest them away as with a flood. They are as a sleep. In the morning they are like grass which groweth up. In the morning it flourisheth and groweth up. And in the evening it is cut down and withered. You know what he did as a, as a man who wrote a good story in his life? He stopped and he evaluated the here and now. Do, do you ever have a hard time being faithful? Be honest. Ain't, ain't it hard? Look, it's one thing to read your Bible when you first get excited and you first get in church and it's all new. But after you've been reading it a few hundred times, ain't it hard sometimes to pick it up and get through numbers again or chronicles again? Ain't it hard sometimes to come to church? I mean, be honest. Don't you sometimes just not feel like it? Don't tell me after work on a, on a Wednesday night you actually feel like coming in here. I, I hate it. I, I shouldn't even say it, but I say it sometimes like, man, tonight's one of those nights I could just stay right here on the couch. My kids are listening to me. It's like a horrible testimony, you know, but that's just reality. 
You know, you've got to recognize that no matter what you're going through in this life and how much resistance you're getting and how difficult it is, this life is super short. And it ain't a lot for God to ask that we do right one day at a time and just be faithful. So much of, and I know some of you, the backgrounds you come from, you had so much pressure on you always to be, to be doing, 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 doing for God all the time. The best thing you can do is just be faithful. Just keep coming. Just keep growing. Just stay in your Bible. Just keep your family in church. Just come one week after the next week, after the next week, after the next week. Just say, that's where I'm going to be and that's what I'm going to be doing because my life is not that long and the best thing, some, the best ability you can have is dependability. Yeah. You know how many talented people miss it? You guys know some of the biggest flunkies out there, actually, if you tested their IQ, they'd be geniuses. Biggest flunkies you ever met in your life. And then average Joes that apply themselves faithfully and steadily over the long haul become their boss. Because it's more important to be dependable than it is anything else. God is not looking for a superstar. God's not looking for a rock star. God doesn't care how smart you are, how gifted you are, how good you are. God cares how dependable you are. And God will use a Moses and make him a great man. When he can't even get through a sentence. Because God knew that man to be faithful. He understood the judgment of God. But what Moses knew is that in the brevity of his life, he had to make the right decisions one day at a time. Go back with me. Keep your finger in Psalms. I want you to see something. Go back with me to the, uh, so, I'm sorry, go to the right. To Ecclesiastes, please. Psalms, Proverbs, then Ecclesiastes. I want you to see something about your life and how brief it is. And here's the scary thing that I want you to get. Now, now, now here's the deal. You've got to understand this. God Almighty has a plan for you. You got that, right? Not, not hard to believe that. That's why dependability is more important than anything, because if you'll just stay faithful, I mean, I'm telling you, I gave you something that I don't know if you get it. If you just stay faithful, then God will do amazing things. Do you get that? That's why I say the most important thing you could do is just be, don't worry about, I got to go, I got to be, I got to become, I got to do. Just stick with God and let him do his thing. Because he'll do stuff. Here's the problem. God has a set date for every one of us. I think this, this is my opinion. I think he has a set date. I think God knows exactly how long he wants me to live and what he wants me to accomplish. And when he cuts me off, Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. Did you hear me? You and I grieve and think it's so tragic, it's so horrible, and it is from a human perspective. I've seen tragedies already. I ain't even been around that long, and I've seen tragedies that just defy the mind. But the Bible says precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. I mean, he come along sometimes and scoop up a child early. Just say, that's a precious one. I'm, I'm taking that one back with me. You and I sit and say, how could that happen? And maybe God said, no, 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 no. That one's so precious, I found some good thing in him, like he said in the Old Testament. And I see what's coming down the road, and I'm not going to let that one live to go through that. I'm coming to get him now. Right. Just talking about God. He's got a set date. And when God punches your number, there's nothing you can do to stay alive. Yeah, that's right. Did you hear me? 
when the giver and sustainer of life punches your number, you're out. If my number's now, doesn't matter what kind of shape I am, the doctor could say, now you're actually, when I look at you genetically and when we study your blood work and everything else, your actual age is uh, almost 46, but your physical age is 28. And if God punches my number now, I'll go right down on my face right here in front of you. No explanation. Gone. So God's got a set date for you, I'll bet. You know, you can change the date. You can change the date God has set for you. Ecclesiastes 7.17, Be not overmuch wicked, neither be thou foolish. Why shouldest thou die before thy time? Ecclesiastes 7.17, you see it? <laughs> you kidding me? That's why I preach at you kids about smoking. I preach at you kids about drinking. Well, if you don't get drunk, okay, stupid. Well, scripturally speaking, all my Christian friends do. Okay, stupid, do what you want. Don't listen to me. I've preached funerals of kids younger than you. Preach against drugs. Yes, even marijuana. It's not the gateway drug. Most people don't just stick a needle in their vein and shoot up on heroin, okay, the first time out. You're going to take that chance? Do you know where the devil works? He works on that stuff with an altered state of mind. I mean, a lot of that stuff going on, uh, you, you, just, you just ain't been around enough, that's the problem. Sheltered little stinking bourbonites with all your money and your rich parents and all the rest of that stuff. That's the problem. You need to see where the end of that stuff is. You need to watch them walk around at 30 years old and 38 years old and you think they're 60. Seen them the other day with the legs so swollen from infection. I mean skinny. Leg right down here so swollen from infection. The skin stretched and splitting and the thing just, uh, just, just dying. Literally walking around dying. Rotting flesh. Why shouldest thou die before thy time? I'll tell you why you're doing it, because it's fun. There's pleasure in sin for a season. Keep going to your right, go to Isaiah chapter 38. On the flip side, look at this one. Isaiah chapter 38. Look at verse 5. Go and say to Hezekiah, Thus saith the Lord, the God of David thy father, I've heard thy prayer and I've seen thy tears. Behold, I will add unto thy days 15 years. Huh. Wow, you kidding me? When a man repented and turned towards God, when a man began weeping and reaching out to God, when a man put God first and sought God, God said, all right, I'll give you 15 years longer than I planned on giving you. Talking about his view of his life, the most important thing you can have in this world. Go back to Psalm 90. we got to wrap it up. most important thing you can have in this world is a relationship with God Almighty. most important thing you can have. Look at verse 8. His view of faithfulness in the fear and now. He says, that in the here and now, thou hast set our iniquities before thee, our secret sins in the light of thy countenance. Do you know that God Almighty sees everything you think, everything you say, and everything you do? He sees your motive. 
Every Christian in this room is one of, one of three things. You're either zero as far as your fruit. You can get saved and walk away and never produce fruit for God. You'll go to heaven but produce no fruit. Or you're 30, 60, or 100-fold. The 30-fold are the people that just do what they got to do to get by. They just do right because they kind of have to. The 60-fold are people that do right because God promises to reward you and you're afraid of God and you don't want Him to beat the snot out of you if you do wrong and so you do it kind of under duress and because you want the benefit that comes from serving God and that's a good thing. That's 60-fold, he said. Yeah, it's a benefit in serving God. Yeah, I don't want somebody else to get my reward for sure. You know what the 100-fold are? Those are the people that do what they do because they absolutely love God with all their heart, soul, and mind. And it has nothing to do with how good He is or isn't. They're faithful in the good times and they're faithful in the bad. They love Him in the ups. They love Him in the downs. They stick with Him when it's good. They stick with Him when it ain't good because He's good. And everybody in the room is one of those four. You're either not going to produce a thing. And I'd be willing to bet you everybody here is at least 30 because you wouldn't be here this morning if you didn't care on some level. Or 60 or 100 fold. And God knows everything about you. He knows your motive for doing what you're doing. Not just what you do. Notice the burdens in verse number 10. His view of being faithful in the here and now. The days of our years are three score and ten. And if by reason of strength they be four score. If you're healthy and you're strong you make it to 80. Yet is there strength, labor and sorrow. For it is soon cut off and we fly away. Sit around and talk to an old person. It's tough. Getting old ain't for sissies. Said to Mrs. Ferguson this morning, I said, you make it, you made it again. You're on a good strength. She said, yes. <laughs> Why? Because the older you get, the harder it gets. Just coming to church is difficult. That's life. That's because you're sinners. That's because the wages of sin is Death. God's just. I got thinking about this, man. Can you think about, can you imagine with me by the time you're five years old how many times you've cried? <laughs> by, the time you're, by the time you're a teenager, how many fights have you been into with your siblings? How many times have you been in trouble with your parents and at school? How many times have you been scared and laid awake? How many thunderstorms have freaked you out and panicked you and adrenaline's pumping through your system? By the time you're 20, how many times has your heart been broke? How many sins have you committed? How much addiction have you got yourself caught up in? How many, how many times have you been disappointed and, and, and all the rest of that stuff? By the time you're 40, by the time you're 60, how many times have you cried over your kids? How much has your grandkids disappointed you? How many guilts do you have? How many wishes I could go back and do it all again? How many things have you done where you said, man, I messed that up so bad, and if I was younger, I'd go back and do it all different? The days of our life are tough. And we're all sinful. And as a result, there's only one thing that really matters. It's God. Because in spite of the fact that I might be a Moses, I ain't never killed nobody, but I've wanted to. Don't look at me like that. You have too. You just don't realize it. I look at my life and I say, I'm such a train wreck. There's nothing got any but. No, what good could come out of Mike Reagan? What good? I know how to blow a marriage up, but I sure don't know how to have a good one. I know how to ruin some little kids. Just, just be a jerk, a selfish jerk. I know how to ruin them. I don't know how to give them a good life. I don't know how to pastor people. Are you kidding me? 
I don't know how to pray for people. I don't know how to preach to them. I don't know how to have any compassion or love. I don't know how to stop my agenda in the middle of my day to care about somebody else's life and try to win it. I don't know how to do none of this stuff. I'm a mess. But hey, there's a God in heaven who can do great things with sinful men. His view of his life. Look at verse 12. His view of the books who teach us to number our days that we may apply our hearts unto wisdom. You guys know Nehemiah quoted Moses to God? You guys know Solomon quoted verses 1 and 2 to God in the book of Proverbs? You guys know how many great men throughout the Bible were all about what Moses wrote? You guys remember in 2 Kings, Josiah the king? He says, hey, I want you to go. And he sends Shimei the scribe and, 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 uh, and Hilkiah the high, to Hilkiah the high priest. Just tell him to build the house. Hilkiah goes in and starts fixing the house up. He says, I found the book. And he tells Shimei, what am I going to do, man? I found the book. And Shimei looks and he reads the book and he's like, uh-oh. And he brings it into the King Josiah and he says, King, we found the book, man. And we are in a mess. Yeah. King says, read me the book. And when the king starts hearing the book, he just rents his clothes and falls down and starts repenting before God and says, we are in an absolute train wreck because that book goes directly against everything we're doing. We've disregarded the book. And that's why the stories of people's lives are so tragic. Because somewhere along the line, they disregarded the book. But here's the great thing. When Shimei walks in, the scribe, and opens up the book and reads it to you, it doesn't matter how old you are. It doesn't matter how much you've messed up, Moses. It doesn't matter who you've murdered. It doesn't matter what's in your past. What matters is when you hear that book read, you fall on your face and you say, God... I want the end of my story to be better than the beginning. And he takes all things and works them together for your good. As only God could do. Look at the last thing. We're done. The man of God's view of his future payout. He says in verse 14, O satisfy us early with thy mercy, that we may rejoice and be glad all our days. Notice the satisfaction of God's mercy. You want your life to be a good life? You got to ask God for mercy. I know we think we're spiritual. You know, we're church people. (laughs) I ask God every day to be merciful to me, a sinner. Verse 15, make us glad according to the days wherein thou hast afflicted us and the years wherein we have seen evil. You know, God can supply joy to your life. I've already beat to death how many problems we have and how much we fail. I sure don't want to live a life of discouragement, do you? You know, it's God that can show up and say, in spite of everything, I'm going to give you something you can't get on your own. I don't need a drug, folks. I ain't got to stick a needle in my vein. I'm not looking for my joy in the bottom of a bottle. I don't need it. I have sober weekends... I mean, I mean, just sober weekends. I'm in control of what I do and how I do it. And I have an awesome, you know, I have an awesome life. I enjoy myself. You know where it comes from? It comes from God. Look at the last thing in verse 16. Lord, make thy work appear unto thy servants and thy glory unto their children. And let the beauty of the Lord our God be upon us. And establish thou the work of our hands upon us. Yea, 
The work of our hands establish thou it. You know the strength of somebody whose story is a good story? It comes from God. You realize that you can work all you want and do everything you try, want to do, try to build a good family, try to raise good kids and all the rest of that stuff, and if God don't bless it, nothing's getting done. I can preach till I'm blue in the face. We can give till we're broke. And if God don't do it, it don't get done. I don't care what man thinks he built. I don't care if we do build a 12,000 square foot auditorium and all the rest of that stuff and get to the judgment seat of Jesus Christ and find out we did it in the power of the flesh. That ain't the story I want. I want a story that says, God, we're doing what you said to do by the book. We saw what the book said and we're trying to follow the book. And since the book said it, we did it. We obeyed that book. Now, God, bless the efforts we're trying to make as we try to do what you tell us to do. Because you told us to do it. Because we love you. You know, if you'll give your heart to God like that, and if you'll get the future in mind like that, God will come in and bless the efforts you're, you're putting in as you try to obey Him, as you try to follow Him, as you try to be faithful to Him, as you trust Him, because He's God and you're not. And he's got a view from eternity that we don't have. And so we just do right because it's right to do because we love him and we trust him. And you know what he'll do with your life? He'll establish it. He'll do a work in it that you'll step back someday and look and say, guess what? Every step of the way, my story is Jesus, only Jesus. Jesus, 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 Jesus. He did every bit of it. I couldn't have done it. Let me tell you what I'm good at. I'm sure, I'm sure, I shouldn't say it that way. I'm not actively doing it, but I'm sure I'd be good at it. I'm sure I'd be good at drinking. I'm 100% sure that I could party like nobody in this room. I'm sure of it. I don't have to prove it. I'm just telling you. I'm 100% sure that I could be good at, uh, well, let me just stop. <laughs> Stuff of the flesh. I'll tell you what I'm not good at. I'm not good at being a man of God. I'm talking about Mike Reagan. I'm talking about my fleshy nature. But I'll tell you what I want to be. I want to be a man of God. You know what he can do? He can make me what I'm not naturally. He establishes the work of my hands. I want my life, my tale, to be that was a sinful man that deserved to burn in hell and he knew it. But he laid his life down on the altar, a living sacrifice, and he let God do in his life whatever God wanted to do. And God wrote a beautiful story that impacted that generation and the generation that followed and the generation that followed that. And I can't do it, but God can. Let's stand to our feet this morning with our heads bowed and our eyes closed.